Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome to you this morning. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. On this, third Sun yep, on this third Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of joy, remembering the words of Isaiah 35. 
And the ransom of the Lord shall return with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and sorrow and shine shall flee away. Isaiah 35, verse 10. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. with the chorus, Glenn. Um, so it's the first Noel, but with a little bit different um, groove to the melody on the chorus. So we're going to sing that with you first. 
Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone at this time. We're going to invite our kids over to that side of the room. We're going to send them off with our blessing here in just a moment. Of course, to send them down to Sunday school. As always, though, they are invited to stay, too. If that's a good fit for you and your family, they are more than welcome to do that as well. All right, kiddos, you ready? Adults first, here we go. The Lord be with you. Nice job, guys. Have a good time downstairs. All right, everyone, we're going to move into a time of prayer. And if you could join me uh, as we begin with the first few verses from Psalm 33. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-stringed lyre. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Lord, you are faithful in all that you do. Thank you for that reassurance. Thank you that even though we may not always see your big picture, we can still find comfort in your unfailing love. Let us be a people and a church that is known for singing your praises. As we move closer to Christmas and all that, and all that accompanies it, help us to find rest in you. I know that for many, the holidays can be more stressful than restful, but help us to remind us to slow down and take a deep breath, taking in all that we have to be thankful for. Help us to look around with refreshed and excited eyes of wonder as we experience your love and the love of our friends and families during this Christmas season. Lord, remind us to prioritize the enjoyment of others even before our own. And most of all, help us to feel you and experience you in new and revitalizing ways as we remember the simple yet profound way you sent your son so many years ago. As we recognize how much we had to be grateful for over the holidays, Lord, Help us to also remember where those things come from, to hold them loosely, and to give of those things freely and generously in ways to help your kingdom here in Holland, Michigan, or wherever we might travel in the next few weeks. Lord, we are blessed. Help us to see and act on ways that we can then bring your blessings to others. Lord, you're a redeemer and a healer. There are many within our community that need both healing and redemption. We pray with confidence that you will act in ways that are amazing and even sometimes unexplainable to help mend our community where it's needed. And Lord, lastly today, I ask that you join us. Join us in our fun over the next few weeks. Christmas is many things that we can be grateful for, and fun is one of them. This world has plenty to be serious about, but grant us the ability to enjoy ourselves, each other, and you as many of us gather together in some, so many parties in the next, next few days and next few weeks. Lord, bless our time together today and help us to hear you clearly through today's message. Amen. Hey, thanks, Nate. And good morning, church. Good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. A beautiful December morning. I say it's a beautiful morning every morning because every day is a gift. Amen. And because every day is a gift, because of the gift of Jesus Christ, we're called to live generous lives. And so just we're continuing to encourage generosity in multiple ways, um, a lot of ways to give. There's plates at the door. Uh, given to the church is an important part of worship and discipline. But there's also other ways to give. And uh, next Sunday, just a quick announcement, Aldea Coffee is going to be here. Uh, every year they sell some of their fair trade coffee and supporting some ministries in uh, Honduras. Also today you can support one of our missionaries, uh, Christy is going to be selling some purses and stuff to support some families down in Nigeria. And so just a lot of ways that we can embrace generosity in this season. And uh, also 
Um, our kids are going to be practicing some generosity in a different kind of way. Next Sunday, our kids' choir, uh, our Sunday school kids are going to be sharing uh, the gift of a song that they've been working on. We've been kind of plugging that. Uh, Parents, make sure they get here when they're supposed to get here. I don't know exactly what time that is to practice and all that, but our kids' choir are going to be singing, sharing a song. And uh, you'll notice that we're doing uh, communion this Sunday instead of next week's Sunday. And the reason for that is just simple logistics, having the kids up front on some risers make communion kind of difficult, but we embrace this gift of God, uh, this remembrance at the table, and uh, every week is relevant. Amen? Amen. Uh, Just, we're going to dive in, and we are going to be, I mentioned this last week, but starting today, we're kind of stepping away from the the series of the story. We've been following a curriculum, the story, following chapters, working our way through the narrative of Scripture. Uh, But I assure you, we're going to remain firmly planted in God's divine story throughout history. Um, Last week, if you remember, we looked at the life of Solomon, his rise and his fall. Starting in January, we'll see where, where his fall leads. And what we see in uh, after Solomon with his son, the, the nation of Israel is torn in two. And we have a divided kingdom, north and south, north uh, being called Israel, south Judah. And what happens, and we're going to be studying this in January and February, uh, is Israel is carried off by Assyria. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Judah will be brought into exile uh, almost 200 years later, to Babylon. It's absolutely devastating. Again, we'll get there in January and February. I don't know if that's a plug or like, okay, yay. Uh, But we'll have some devastating stuff, but there's hope. There's hope in the midst of that. But it was during this time of the kings and into exile and on its return when when the majority of the prophets uh, spoke, and it's when the majority of the the prophets that we have as scripture uh, were written. Now, it's important to clarify, we hear the word prophet in kind of our modern context, and, and what do we kind of think of? Uh, many of us kind of think of, well, prophets kind of predict the future, and we think of prophecy as kind of a form of maybe biblical fortune-telling. That's really a crude way of putting it. Um, but it's, it's important to recognize that, that that was really not the primary role of the prophet. Uh, the prophet uh, in ancient times, their role was to be the mouthpiece of God to God's people. And so they were to speak to God's people on behalf of God, and oftentimes they would then speak to God on behalf of the people. This was their primary role, and their primary message was kind of twofold. The first part was, in this season, uh, the people were rebelling and, and, and practicing pagan idolatry and some atrocities, and so the, the role of the prophet was to call out the people and say, hey, change your ways, quit worshiping idols, quit, quit uh, you know, um, treating people unfairly or else God's judgment will come. Things are not going to end well for you. And, often, and what happened was that came true, right? They didn't heed the warning. They continued to, to be off track and, and the, they suffered the consequences of that. And so in a way, what the prophets foretold came true. So we have an element of that. But the other, the other part of the prophets' words were, were they, they offered this word of hope in the midst of a very difficult season. And, and that hope was founded in God's covenant promises. And much of the hope that the prophets speak of center around uh, the promised Messiah. Now, the word Messiah literally just means anointed one. And if you remember, in our, as we studied the kings, uh, each king was, was anointed with oil. And so that's what this anointed one refers to. And, and the prophets are building off God's promise uh, to David in 2 Samuel 7. We referenced it just briefly a couple weeks ago, that there would come a king from the line of David who would establish a kingdom that would never end. Uh, 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17. And so throughout the prophets, there's this word of hope that points to the coming king, the coming Messiah in the line of David. And now for the next couple of weeks, several weeks rather, we're going to be zeroing in on one of the most prominent of those prophets, the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to be considering some of those words that point to this coming Messiah, this coming anointed one, and, and us with the benefit of time on our side, we understand that that coming Messiah was in fact Jesus Christ, Christ being another, the Greek word for Messiah. And so we're going to start that journey in the book of Isaiah, chapter 11 this morning. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Isaiah 11. 
Isaiah writes, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain." For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in a word of prayer. God, we thank you once again for your word. And Lord, for these words of the prophet Isaiah. Lord, words that that held meaning for the people who first heard these words. Words that continued to carry meaning and words of hope for those who awaited the Messiah in Jesus' time. And Lord, these same words continue to carry with them a word of hope for us no matter what we face. So Spirit, speak into our lives, speak into our hearts this morning, we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior and our friend, amen. Amen. The year was 2009. In some ways that doesn't sound like that long ago, but in other ways it does, it is, I don't know. Anyway, 2009, um, uh, Yvonne and I were... I was a student at Western Seminary here in Holland, Michigan. In the summer of 2009, um, we uh, made the cross-country trip uh, to Central California for a summer internship in the town of Tulare, California. Anyone ever hear of Tulare, California? Just a few. Uh, Tulare is close to Visalia, California. Anyone hear of Visalia? Maybe a few more. How about Fresno? Okay, we all know Fresno. Okay, so Central Valley, California. We spent the summer there in Tulare, at Tulare Community Church for a summer internship. There are a lot of highlights from our time there, a lot of ministry moments, a lot of relationships that were made. Uh, it was great. By the way, if you're ever in uh, the Central Valley, California in the summer, it's hot. It is just really hot. Uh, and it doesn't cool off in the, in, the, in the evening like in Southern California. But anyway, it's a dry heat though. Have you heard that? So you got that going for you. It's a dry heat, but it's hot. Anyway, all that's to say, one of the, one of the highlights uh, of our time during, during uh, our time in, in, in Tulare was at least two different times. I was trying to remember if we did it more than twice, but at least two different times, uh, we took the hour and a half drive up to Sequoia Kings Canyon National Park. Now, does that sound familiar? Yeah, so the, the mighty sequoia groves up in the mountains there. Similar to the redwoods, but I think the redwoods are kind of more coastal and the sequoias are more inland. You can talk to me afterward if I'm wrong on that. Okay. But we, we, we took the hour and a half drive up to, to Sequoia Kings National Park and we got to experience the, the grandeur and the majesty of the giant sequoia trees, marveling at God's creative power. And on the right there is a picture of, of me and our oldest niece, uh, Aubrey, hugging a tree. Uh, it's one of the smaller ones in the grove, but it's still a gigantic tree. Uh, by the way, Aubrey is, is now a high, playing high school basketball. She's the oldest and she's such a sweetheart. But there's a, that's one of our favorite tri- uh, pictures from that. One, that's one of our favorite pictures from that trip. Um, and it's not because of me. Amen. Yeah, okay. The picture on the left is a picture of General Sherman. 
Now, are you familiar with General Sherman? General Sherman is, is one of the, the mighty sequoia trees. In fact, General Sherman is the largest of the sequoia trees. It's believed to be the largest tree in the world. And it's the largest tree, not the tallest, but it's the largest. Here's some statistics about the General Sherman. 274 feet high. Some of the sequoias, I think, are over 300 feet tall. Uh, if you were to measure the circumference, which is the, the, the distance around its trunk, it is over 100 feet around a distance. It's huge. Now, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around this, but the reason why it's the biggest, it's, it's tree or trunk volume. The trunk volume of General Sherman is 52,508 cubic feet. I don't even know what that means. But let's just say that's huge, right? It is this massive, massive tree. And the picture on the left there is from like 1977 when they still allowed you to like walk up and, and touch the tree. Now there's like, there's fences and stuff. But anyway, fast forward from 2009 to 2020. Do you remember what happened in 2020? You're like, yeah, pastor, don't remind me. Okay, there was a lot of things that happened in 2020. But one of the other devastating things, do you remember the wildfires that were happening in California in 2020? Uh, there was, a, there was a, a castle fire that was ravaging through the, the Sequoia National Park. A year later in 2021, there was another uh, fire that ravaged this way, sparked by thunder or lightning strikes. And it just, it devastated the park. Um, in fact, forestry experts estimate that uh, between 13 and 19% of these mighty large sequoias, that's about 10,000 to 14,000 trees were destroyed between those two or three fires, those two years. In other words, that was, um, that was over a quarter million acres that were burned in those wildfires. Now, thankfully, I, we were following this because we, you know, we had this attachment to General Sherman, but they were able to wrap General Sherman in foil and, and some of these mighty sequoias, and they were actually able to salvage and save some of the biggest trees. Uh, but right there, you have a picture from, from same, the same grove area, and it's just decimated. And it's, it's devastating. And it's especially devastating when, when you consider how old some of those trees are. Those, the, the biggest of those sequoias, they estimate, can take up to 2,000 years to grow to that size. Wiped out. Now, I share those pictures because I think it, it helps us begin to grasp the devastation Israel is about to feel in the book of Isaiah. When, the, when Isaiah was written and received, and, and not only that, but this is the imagery, right, that Isaiah is drawing on in verse one. Let me read it again. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. A few chapters, a few verses earlier, there's a, a clearer picture of, of sin's consequences that are painted. In Isaiah chapter nine, uh, these words are written of Israel. Later on in chapter 10, um, these words are written of Assyria. But notice the imagery that's used. Basically, in, in chapter 9, God is saying, repent, you've got to change or else this is what's going to happen. And the imagery is of forest thickets ablaze, the land being scorched. Fast forward to chapter 10. Now God is directing his, this prof, the prophet's words to Assyria saying, basically, Assyria, what you have done to Israel, God is gonna return the favor. And the same imagery is repeated. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields, it will be completely destroyed. And the remaining trees of his forests will be so few that a child could write them down. In Isaiah chapter 11, verse one, we read stump, but stump is a picture of a, a more devastating reality. The reality for Israel, the, the northern kingdom, is that they've been devastated by the Assyrian army. And, and, and what we'll see as we'll continue to read is later on in Judah, the southern kingdom will come next and Babylon will come and, and carry off Judah into exile. The imagery, again, is of a vast, lush forest reduced to a, a pathetic field of stumps and ash, charred, fallen trees. 
Just imagine the, the image I showed re- before of Sequoia National Park when some of those, those charred trees finally come down and, and what remains is just this charred wasteland of devastation. But remember, this imagery actually represents a nation, a people, homes destroyed, families displaced, right? Husbands killed, fathers, mothers daughters and sons, identity lost. It's devastating. And the same fate awaits Judah in the southern kingdom if they fail to repent. And what we know from history is that uh, just a couple centuries later, Jerusalem would fall. Judah would be taken to Babylon in 586 BC. And here is where Isaiah brings a word of hope though. That's the devastation. A burnt down forest of stumps and rubble. But the hope is that it rests in a Messiah, a king, an anointed one from the line of David who would restore hope, peace, and joy. And the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 11, the image that is given is of a shoot, a branch. A shoot, a branch. This is the promise. Again, verse one, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. Quickly, let's look at the promise of a shoot and then we'll pivot and look at the fruit See what I did there? Shoot and fruit. Okay, we got some rhyming going on. Okay, let's begin with looking at the shoot, a Messiah from the line of David. The Hebrew words here for shoot are listed there. Choter can be translated rod or twig. Have an image there of a twig. The word for branch, which is a different Hebrew word, uh, is, is the word netzir, which refers to a young green shoot, right? It's important to note here that neither of those words refer to like this strong and mighty branch that's, that's shooting off of an oak tree. You know the kind of branches here in West Michigan that we, we tie a tire, str- a tire swing to? That's not the image. The image uh, is, is here of a young, early growth shoot growing, again, from a dead, burnt stump. Now, this stump is from the line of Jesse. Do you remember who Jesse is from a few weeks ago? Jesse is the father of David, right? Absolutely. From the, so from the line of David, this shoot, this sprout, this branch will grow. We have some scripture from, uh, from the book of Jeremiah. These are not the only two words for branch, but there's another word, and that's up there. Say mock, which also means sprout or growth. Same meaning, different word, but we have a prophecy from Jeremiah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land, and in those days, Judah will be saved. This is an image of hope that the people of God would hold on to for generations. Now quickly, let's consider, we looked at the shoot, let's look at the fruit. What is the fruit that will come when this branch, this shoot comes from the line of Jesse? What I want to do is just quickly zip through and summarize uh, most of our scripture passage from this morning. First what we see is that the shoot would come and would be, would have the Spirit's anointing, okay? The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom, the Spirit of counsel, right? So the Spirit's anointing. Fast forward to Jesus, what happens at Jesus' baptism? The Spirit descends upon Jesus. What happens when, when, when Jesus is, is, is responsible for reading the scroll? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me, right? So we have this prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus, but not only is it the Spirit's anointing, but we see that peace will reign over hearts, uh, looking at verses two through three A and fast forwarding to nine B, quickly. The Messiah will reign with wisdom and understanding. Fast forward to to verse 9b, we read that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And so this knowledge of the Lord, this redemption of minds and hearts, this peace in our minds and hearts will what? Will be as the waters cover the sea. Now, how much of the sea is covered with water? Not a trick question. All of it, absolutely, all of it, right? So the knowledge of the Lord will cover the land completely. And so human hearts and minds will be renewed with the peace of the Lord. 
Let's jump ahead to verses three through five. What we have here is a vision of societal redemption and change in peace. We read how the branch, the Messiah, will bring true justice and righteousness to the earth. He will bring fair decisions for the poor and the needy. And he will strike the wicked with what? Words. With the words of his mouth. And so he will offer fair judgment uh, against the wicked and fair judgment for the poor. He will pronounce fairness and justice and righteousness. And not only that, but these will become his attire. Have we heard that before? Ephesians 6, the armor of God. We have some echoes. It's amazing how the New Testament, well, there's just all these connection points. Anyway, and, get, and don't we want to live in a world like that? We want to live in a world where those who do evil are held accountable and, put, and stopped and where the poor and the needy are cared for with fairness and righteousness. Are you with me? So we have this Messiah, this branch who would come, who would renew, bring peace in our minds and our hearts. We have this Messiah who would come, who would bring peace in our societies and in our nations. Go to the next level of this peace that would come and we have that all of creation is experiencing the same kind of peace. This beautiful refrain and we have all of these images of different animals. And did you notice that it's some of the most violent and dangerous animals of that time paired with what's often their prey. So you have the wolf living with the lamb, the leopard lying with the, the goat, I think it was, right? The young child who's putting his hand in a cobra's nest, right? Lions will eat like ox. They'll eat straw like the ox, right? In other words, what this is painting is a vision of God's kingdom where death and harm and killing, these things will no longer be a reality, the Messiah will come and peace will reign in human hearts. Peace will reign over societies and nations and peace will reign over the entire face of the earth. Is that a good image? Is that a good vision? Yes. And not only that, right at the bottom, what we read is this powerful vision is not just for the people of Israel. But verse 10 tells us that in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. We will explore some of this on New Year's Day um, when we gather on that day. Anyway, incredible promises, incredible word of prophecy for the people in a season of despair. And imagine this, as they're, as they're, they're facing the, the potential of exile and destruction, what must they be thinking in that time when these words are written like, yes, bring that Messiah, bring that righteous branch. Like, we want that Messiah to come right now. Now, here's the beautiful and, and mysterious reality of biblical prophecy, and, and I kind of alluded to this in my prayer as we began. But the beautiful thing about biblical prophecy is, is that it was a word of truth for the people in that time and that place, right? So Isaiah is speaking to a people in a time and place. But the beautiful thing about biblical prophecy is the meaning of those words continue to carry relevance and meaning and offer hope for generations to come. And so fast forward to the time of Jesus and they're reading these words and they're anticipating a Messiah who would come in the line of David, right? And they're waiting for this Messiah. Well, here's the thing, though. Here, here's where, where we, we, they ran into some trouble is because the people were hoping and anticipating all the fruit that we just read that would come with the shoot, the Messiah. And their hope was that all of that fruit, all of these promises of the kingdom coming would come immediately and produce that fruit that we just covered, peace in human hearts, peace in our societies, redemption and freedom from captivity, peace on a cosmic scale. But what do we know about shoots? That's not how shoots grow, right? Shoots growing from stumps, the, the image that carries this, that's, that's not how it works. And so when Jesus steps in to our reality, into this world as the righteous branch, the shoot from the stump, from the stump of Jesse, expectations versus reality had to be reconciled, right? One of the reasons why these wildfires in central California are so devastating is because scientists, and, and we all have a pretty good idea of, of how long these giant sequoias take to grow. Right? What's fascinating, this is an illustration for another day, but those same wildfires are actually what, what is essential in the reproductive cycle of the sequoias. The fires produce the heat that, open, that cracks open the cones 
and the seeds are then able to, to plant. So after these fires, these cones from these mighty sequoias have cracked open and seeds have been planted and they're going to begin to germinate and grow. But what we understand is those seedlings, those saplings are going to take centuries, even millennia to get to the same size as these mighty sequoias. And so it'll take generations. It'll take generations bef before any of those lost groves begin to resemble what they once were just a few years ago. So that's what makes it difficult. And yet, think about this. If you're like one of these park rangers or a forestry expert, imagine the, what you will be feeling when you see that first sapling begin to rise from the ash. What a sign of hope. And in the same way, this image of a green shoot, a sapling coming from a stump producing fruit becomes a powerful sign of hope when that first green branch grows. It is a sign of life. It is a sign saying, you know, it's gonna take time, but all hope is not lost. There is life here. Even in this dead stump, we see evidence of it. There's hope. Now, looking at the, the ministry of Jesus, how does Jesus often teach? A, a little, about a year ago, we looked at the parables, right? He teaches in parables. And I think parables kind of lean into the same idea. One of the parables Jesus taught was a parable of, of a mustard seed. We have that on the screen from Mark chapter four. Because people needed to adjust their expectations around who Jesus was as the Messiah and what that meant for them. Jesus says, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it's planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Jesus is, is saying that, that, yes, he's the Messiah, that the kingdom has come, and yet it's like a mustard seed. All the potential, all the promises, they're there, but we're gonna just experience the first fruits of that seed. It's gonna take time for that kingdom to fully come. See, what Jesus is helping the people do is the people of God at that time were having a hard time seeing in Jesus what they heard foretold about the coming Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures. The words and the promises like we just read in Isaiah 11, other words from Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they were having a hard time reconciling the two. Now, of course, we have the benefit of 2,000 years of perspective and theology, and so we can give them a break, right? But this, this, this trouble reconciling what we, what we hear and what we hear and what we read in the prophecy and what we see with our eyes, I think, I think there's a helpful image in the book of Revelation. We're going to look at the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 4 and 5, John is, is caught up in this vision of heaven. And there's all kinds of imagery, um, and, and we'll look at a little bit of that. Uh, but John has this incredible vision of heaven. The Lord is seated on a throne, surrounded by 24 elders, four living creatures. They're all worshiping the Lord who's seated on the throne. And, 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 and there's these echoes to Isaiah 6 and Isaiah's vision of the throne room of God. Uh, but what we see is we're told that the Lord is sitting on the throne and he's holding a scroll that's sealed with seven wax seals. Okay, a lot of imagery here, right? But on that scroll is written the keys to the kingdom and how the kingdom will come to earth as it is in heaven. And what we read in the beginning of chapter five is that tragically, no one is worthy to open the scroll or even look inside. And so John just begins to weep. Because how will we realize the promises of Isaiah 11 and all of these promises of the fruit of the kingdom if no one is worthy to open and read the scroll? And then we pick up in verse five. And here we read in, in Revelation 5, verse five. And notice the, seemingly, the seeming discrepancy between what John hears and what he sees. We read in verse five, this is what one of the elders said to me. And so this is dialogue. This is what John is hearing. Do not weep, the elder is saying to John. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, Isaiah 11, right, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. We get to verse six and this is what John actually sees. Then I saw a lion now I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. 
And the lamb took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when the lamb had taken it, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the lamb and began worshiping the lamb. And they sang a new song. And these words are beautiful. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now, there's a lot going on in this vision. Far more than we have in the next five minutes to unpack. But notice this discrepancy, a seeming discrepancy between what John hears from the elders and what he actually sees with his own eyes. What he hears are all the prophecies about the Messiah. The Lion of Judah, right? Genesis 49, promises of the tribe of Judah. The Root of David, this branch that we read about in Isaiah and Jeremiah. He has triumphed. He has won the victory. All of these things we're expecting the Messiah to be and to do and to, and to triumph and to overcome. John hears about a Messiah who's like a lion, who's like a king, who is one who has triumphed. All of those expectations. But then he opens his eyes and what does he see? He sees how those things would actually happen. He sees a lamb who might be covered in blood. Looks like he's, this lamb has been slain. He sees a lamb and it's revealed that this lamb's sacrifice is what has made him worthy to open the scroll, to usher in this new kingdom. What he was expecting is what he heard, but what he saw was how that vision would be accomplished in a lamb, a sacrificial lamb who would lay down his life for the sins of the world. And we know this, right? Because that is exactly what Jesus came to do. I don't know about you, but for me, this kind of helps with our perspective today. Because if we're honest with ourselves, often in our personal life experience, there seems to be a discrepancy between what we hear about God what we read about God, what we know and what we believe about God, that God is, is all-powerful, that God is good, that he loves us, that he's a healer and he's a redeemer. But there's a seeming discrepancy between those things that we know and have heard and the things that we actually see in our own life experience. Because the reality is oftentimes we, we look around at our world, we look around at, at our own experiences, what we see is actually a lot of stumps and burnt out forest. Amen? We see the devastation of a forest that has been burned down and reduced to ash and charred stumps. But again, Isaiah's word, which was a word that reverberated for generations and generations, continued to carry us as God's people with hope. Because even when what we see, what we look around and what we see are stumps and ash, God tells us that there is a shoot of hope even in the midst of the rubble. There is a green sprouting branch growing from the stumps in our life. And ultimately what we know is the, the, that branch, that shoot comes in the form of a lamb that's been sacrificed. A lamb who has willingly laid down his life for you and for me, offering us forgiveness so that we might have peace with God. These are the first fruits of the kingdom of God, friends. That because what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we are able to be at peace with God. We can commune with God. And by Christ, we continue to work toward that peace and seeing that peace realized in these other deeper layers within the created order, within nations and within the creation, we work toward that. But this is our peace. This is our hope that brings peace and that peace even produces joy, right? But friends, the challenge so often for us is is being able to recognize and see the shoot, the branch among the stumps that can so often be overwhelming. We long to see Jesus in our lives. We long to see evidence of that shoot amongst the burned down forests. But one of the promises that, of God that we hold to as we gather this morning 
is the promise of God's presence with us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is why it's, it's so crucial that we continue to celebrate communion on a regular basis. Because Christ invites us to come, to commune with the lamb who was slain so that we might have life. We gather and we recognize that the bread and the cup is representation of the very real shoot, the branch, the presence of Jesus that is just as real in our lives as that physical piece of bread we will hold and consume in our hands, right? That Jesus Christ is our hope. Jesus Christ is our peace. Jesus Christ is our joy. And friends, in just a moment, we're gonna partake together. And you need to know that this is a gift of grace. This is a gift that cannot be earned or deserved, but it is a gift of grace in Jesus Christ. It's a gift for those who believe. But what I, when I say that, it, it means that even, I think of that vision where that man says to Jesus, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Because sometimes when our lives are surrounded by stumps and burned down forests, it's, it's hard to believe but Jesus says, I can take just a mustard seed of that faith and we can move mountains. And so whatever smidgen of faith or belief that you have this morning, come to the table and receive this gift, this reminder that the branch of Jesse has come and he will come again and make all things new. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your word We thank you for the words of the prophet, the prophets. We thank you for, for how they were a word of, of encouragement and hope for those who first heard those words. Lord, these promises of the Messiah continued to carry the people forward for, for centuries. And Lord, they continue to speak into our lives as well as we recognize that Jesus Christ, you have come. And Lord, that you have done all that's required for our salvation. And yet, Lord, we also, in this season of Advent, wait with eager anticipation that day when you will come again. And the promises, the fruit of Isaiah 11 will be fully realized. So Lord, as we come around this table, your table, Lord Jesus, as we partake in the bread and the cup, Lord, may we be reminded that this is a foretaste of the kingdom banquet feast that is to come. And Lord, may we be filled with hope. May we be filled with peace. And Lord, by your grace, may you also restore our joy in this moment. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few brief words of instruction. Uh, once again, we'll have, we have two stations up front. Uh, just invited as you, after you're invited, when you feel ready uh, to make your way down the side center aisles, uh, partake and work your way around the outside. Uh, if um, gluten-free is uh, what you desire, what's required, there'll be a gluten-free station in the back. Uh, if you are unable or would prefer to be served at your seat, just raise your hand and someone will bring the elements to you. I think I covered all of those pieces. But now, remember. Once again, remember those final moments on that final night of Jesus with his disciples. He took the bread after giving thanks. He broke the bread he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. Friends, we come to the table of our Lord Jesus Christ remembering that the body of Christ and the blood of Christ was given.
for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Come, for all things are now ready.
reality is we all enter into this space on Sunday morning with different life experiences. And for some of us, that experience is, is filled with, with joy and hope and wonder. For others of us, it's, it's been a difficult year or season. But the reminder to us is that even in the midst of those difficult seasons, when the forest seems to be laid bare, there is hope. That is our story as Christians, as we just sang the words of that song, that, that God himself became flesh and entered into the brokenness of this world, not as a, as a grand king uh, in a throne, but being laid in a manger, right? May Christ be your hope today and in this season. May Christ be your peace. May Christ restore your joy. As you go from here, receive God's blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. God's people say, amen. Amen. Jesus, you come, Emmanuel, God incarnate, divine miracle.